Gar and I, as you know, as we sit here together and, and talk about this, we, we understand accountability and we are accountable for what this team did this year. We don't run away from it. We accept it. Uh, that's that's on us. Locked on Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. Your number one source for Chicago Bulls news and stories. For me to be here in the NBA organization, such a historic organization that Chicago Bulls, so it's just a dream come true for me. Live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. This is going to be a process. It doesn't, you'll snap your fingers and it all happens at once, but um, that's the plan moving forward. So kick back, relax, and get ready for the best hour of your day. Locked on Bulls starts now. Here are your hosts, Jordan Malley and Matt Peck. What's up and welcome into Locked on Bulls, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. We're live on Dash Radio, DashRadio.com and the Dash Radio app. On the Nothing But Net channel, we're live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central Time. I'm your host, Jordan Malley, writer of Bulls Basketball in the NBA at FanRag Sports and College Hoops over at SB Nation. Along with me is Matt Peck, writer of Bulls Basketball in the NBA at FanRag Sports and host of the 312 Show on AM 1590 WCGO in Chicago. Follow us on social media on Twitter at Jordan C. Malley, at Bulls underscore Peck, and at LockedOnBulls. Like us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash LockedOnShyBulls. And subscribe to the show on iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and anywhere you find podcasts, you will find us. Make sure you're following the Locked On Podcast Network on Facebook and Twitter as well. Our text and voicemail line 331-979-1369. I know we kind of did a special episode yesterday by taking all of your voicemails, but we are in fact going to do mailbag again tomorrow. We do it every Wednesday on Locked On Bulls, so make sure you get your questions in either on social media or texting or leaving a voicemail. 331-979-1369. Welcome back, Matt. Did you enjoy the NBA Awards show last night? I hope many of our uh, listeners out there at least paid a little bit of a close attention to it. It was more of a show than anything else, but uh, at least I-, I got a little bit out of it. I thought that Travis Scott performance was a little bit uh, bizarre, but outside of that, I thought it was a pretty decent showing. I didn't like the pick as far as when they chose for the date to go out uh, on this, but uh, outside of that, it was pretty entertaining. It's dumb. I'm sorry. I think uh, like, okay, no, like the NBA award show doesn't need to be a thing. It doesn't need to be another televised event, but if they want to make it one, I, I mean, I guess I, I understand that it's easier scheduling wise. If you want to make it a TV event to do it after the season is over, but everybody on Twitter last night, current players, retired players, people who spend their entire year, you know, paying attention to NBA basketball were complaining and rightfully so, about how it just loses all of its shine and spectacle and significance when you do it after the season is over. Nobody cares. Like, everybody is already, now that we've had the draft, everybody's analyzing their draft picks and looking ahead to free agency that starts in about a week. Nobody cares about the 2017-18 awards anymore. Like, I, I honestly, like, who cares? It's dumb. It's so much better to have these awards presented and announced while the playoffs are happening because usually you have those guys winning awards as their teams are battling in the playoffs. Derrick Rose accepting his MVP while the Bulls were in the second round in 2011. Derrick, you've had a career year so far. You you led this Bulls team to the best record in the NBA. You are the youngest MVP in NBA history. 
and in a league of very valuable players, you are the most valuable, and it is my pleasure to award to you the Kia NBA 2010-11 MVP trophy. Just want to say thank you. Um, it's been a long year. This right here is for the city of Chicago more than anything. Thank you. And I appreciate it. My family appreciate it, and the organization appreciate it. Thank you all, and we love you all. That is when you want these awards to be going on because it makes NBA Twitter more entertaining. And those conversations and those debates about who won those awards, should LeBron have won over James Harden, et cetera, et cetera. Was Rudy Gobert a rightful defensive player of the year despite all of the games that he missed? Those conversations and those debates are so much better when the awards are announced while the playoffs are still going on and NBA season is at its peak. Honestly, like I only tuned in for a few minutes I'm pretty sure we all knew Harden was going to win the award anyway. It doesn't matter. What's the point of doing this TV event if you're doing it when the NBA is in this downtime between the draft and free agency? Maybe so that people want to still pay attention to the NBA, but I'm like, it doesn't matter. People on NBA Twitter are going to be on NBA Twitter every day. And the fact that they do this after the season just makes it lose most of its luster to me. Yeah, I like the event. I like the event as, as a whole, but I do agree with you that it's lost kind of its luster, especially you know we're like what a month and a half away from when the people actually voted for these guys. So really, even I saw some of the writers who maybe had had placed their votes even say they were like, yeah, I don't even really remember who I picked for any of these awards. So I do agree that they should move it at, at the very least, like the four or five days between the regular season and the playoffs starting. Maybe they moved the event there. I feel like if they want to do a TV show, that would probably gain the most attention. I thought for most, for the most part, though, it was kind of showy more so than anything else. They did have some cool moments. Like I said, I think if anybody was watching that Travis Scott, I like Travis Scott's music and I think he's awesome, but that, that performance was a little bizarre for me and it just a little bit strange for the NBA awards. Uh, but we also did get a couple funny moments out of the NBA awards last night. Uh, how about Bill Russell just flipping off the camera, didn't know that he was on live TV, flipping off Charles Barkley. That was fantastic. And then his tweet after the oh, fact. Oh, his tweet was, was the best. Like, Sorry, everybody. Forgot I was on live TV. So beyond that, I think I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm in agreement with you, though. It kind of lost its luster. And if they're going to do this live event, and I know they're trying to, at least for the people that aren't on social media or the younger demographic of the NBA, they're trying to extend the season out. So people are talking about it 24-7. And I know you brought up NBA Twitter, but I think they're trying to also reach into the pocket of the older demographic, the people that are 40 plus years old uh, that still watch and use television as, as their main medium. So I feel like that's in a facet is why they used this as sort of their placement for the NBA award show in between free agency and the draft. But if that's what they're doing, though, that's dumb because the reason the NBA is succeeding right now is because most of its fan base is young. And MLB is really struggling because Major League Baseball is struggling to gain the following of a younger generation in America right now. And most baseball fans are old people. And 
you don't want your target demographic to be old people. No offense to those of you listening to this podcast who might identify yourself as such, but it's that's like the reason that the NBA is gaining all this momentum uh, as far as becoming more popular than Major League Baseball and starting to rival the NFL in terms of its popularity, especially year-round popularity. It's because it has a young following. And youngsters don't care about some televised event that's on cable in between the drafts and free agency that really is some, is about something that's already over. Don't forget the fact that, too, this is more about the players than anything else. So this is more of an award show for them and sort of a celebration of the season. Which is why they can't really do it as a televised event in the True. middle of the playoffs. Like, that's what makes it difficult. If you want to make it a televised event, this is where it has to be. Although your idea of if you want to do a televised event, put it somewhere in that little downtime between when the regular season ends and the playoffs start. But that also is difficult because that's when teams are doing their homework and preparing for their first round opponent and all that stuff. And, you know, ideally getting a few days of rest. And if you're, you know, getting dolled up somewhere and going to some big party and event show, that kind of takes away from that. I just want to get to a couple of Bulls related notes just uh, from these award shows and from the voting in general, because there was uh, two different awards that Bulls connections were voted for on. Uh, I'm going to start with the the more important one of the two, and that's Chris Dunn. Chris Dunn got two votes, uh, two third place votes for most improved player of the year. Uh, people were kind of laughing at this, but really go back and look at Chris Dunn's rookie stats and then compare him to the stats that he had with the Bulls this season. Like we had the conversations when Chris Dunn was healthy. I remember back in what January and February when he was playing really well, we said, you know, I don't think it would be out of the realm of possibility to get a couple votes for most improved player uh, talking about the defensive side of the ball, but also also offensively, like you look at his offensive numbers, they were God awful with the Timberwolves in his rookie season. Um, comparing that to the Bulls this season, I think he deserved a couple of the votes, and whether or not you want to laugh at that or say that it was an inside job for those two votes, I mean, I think Chris Dunn, if if anything, deserved a couple more votes than just two third-place votes, but uh, certainly the person who won it and Victor Oladipo for most improved player definitely, without a doubt, should have been a unanimous 100% vote uh, to win that award, but uh, big ups to Chris Dunn at least getting a couple votes there for third place. What do you think about that? Yeah, obviously, Oladipo was hands down the runaway winner of that award, and rightfully so, considering what he was able to do for a Pacers team that most people pegged for uh, you know, a, a high lottery pick, and he led them to the playoffs in a pretty exciting series against LeBron and the Cavs. Um, as far as Dunn, uh, you mentioned that strong stretch of games he had. It was, I think it was actually December into January, not January, February, because I'm pretty sure it was like January 17th when he that game against Golden State where he fell on his face and, and was knocked out for a couple weeks with that concussion. Um, but you are right, and we talked about that strong stretch of games he had in the middle of the season. I think had he played more games and his season wasn't chopped up by the dislocated finger early on and then that concussion and then being shut down towards the end as the Bulls were, you know, tanking and playing it safe with those guys, had he put, you know, something more close uh, closer to I don't know, say 65-70 game season, he, you would have seen him get more of those votes for most improved player of the year. Not first place votes. Obviously, everybody, anybody who didn't vote for Old Depot first place for that award is crazy. But maybe some more second and third place votes for Dunn had he had a more complete season. Because if he had a more complete season and was able to build on that strong stretch of games he had in December and January, he absolutely did look like a guy who played a heck of a lot better than he did his rookie year. Yeah, missing 30 games is nearly ha- is nearly a third of the season. So you look at that, 52 games, 
43 started. But, it is. It's more than a third of the season. But he went from three po- averaging 3.8 points with the Timberwolves last season in only 17.1 minutes. He had an uptick in minutes and t- uh, over 12 minutes per game. Took way more. He he tripled his field goal attempts from four in Minnesota last season to 12.8. His points per game went up to 13.4 per game. His assists nearly tripled with six. His steals doubled. Stayed about the same with blocks and rebounds almost tripled going from 1.8 to 3.8. So all of those numbers say that most improved player getting a couple of votes here and there, I think, isn't out of the realm of possibility. And they, he got him. And like you said, I think if he played in all 82 games this season, probably would have seen him higher up on that most improved player ballot uh, than we did this season. But one other quick note while we're talking about Chris Dunn, I was going to do this later in the show, but uh, let's touch on it right now. So Chris Dunn, there was an article published in the Chicago Tribune uh, by Shannon Ryan in saying kind of disputing the reports about the front office being displeased with Chris Dunn and saying that they didn't think his work ethic this offseason was really up to their standards or up to their par. And Chris Dunn had some words for uh, for not only Joe Colley for writing the article, but if anybody in the Bulls front office really did believe that. Um, we talked about it before. I, I didn't believe the report at all. I don't think that was the character that Chris Dunn has ever been. Uh, you look at the timeline from when he was in high school all the way to now at this point, nothing to me points in the direction that Chris Dunn is lazy. No, I, and I think it's uh, absolutely within reason for Chris Dunn to, you know, to sort of come out and say, no, I don't agree with what that report said. And yeah, I am offended by it. Um, I mean, that quote is in that trip column that you mentioned. He said, quote, I was definitely offended by it. Uh, This is not the first time that Joe Cowley has printed something that is perhaps, and you and I had this conversation in one of our shows, I don't know, I think last week or the week before when this first came out, that he tends to do this. He likes to ruffle feathers and print things that other Bulls beat writers aren't willing to to print or are, are too cautious to print. And a lot of Bulls players are quick to say no I don't I don't agree with that report or you know I don't know where that report's coming from but it's not the truth so um I I wasn't necessarily surprised to see Chris Dunn come out and say this and uh you know if his work ethic is being questioned and he believes that he has been doing everything he should be doing so far this offseason then yeah come out and and say no that's that that report is bs um but he also did say, say when making his response to that, he said, you, you know, you try not to get caught up in it. Um, he said he doesn't have any answers for how the rumors originated. Um, he said, whoever put it out there, that's how they felt. Questioning my work ethic, that's just not valid. Um, so this is, I think, just another example of Cali trying to stir the pot. And uh, we'll, we'll see. But um, the, the Bulls front office also denied any validity to this report. So... Um, I know that Chris Dunn has been around the Advocate Center. I'm pretty sure he was there. I think uh, Casey Johnson had a tweet mentioning that he, as well as a few other Bulls players, were at the Advocate Center working out and getting shots up leading up to their introductory press conference for their two new rookies uh, yesterday. So, um, you know, it's just just another example of a Bulls player coming out and saying, yeah, Joe Cowley, that thing he reported, nah, it's bogus. <laughs> the only thing I can think of, and I talked about this when we talked about the report coming up early in mid-May, 
The only thing I can think of that the front office maybe would be a little bit disappointed in Chris Dunwith is not staying in Chicago at the start of the offseason. And I mean, look, players go on vacations and they go separate places now to work out and do their do their offseason training with separate trainers other than the Bulls and at the Advocate Center. Um, it kind of reminded me of when Nico Miritich decided to go overseas and work on his game there and play um, and represent one of his international teams. And it reminded me of that when the Bulls didn't like the fact that he didn't stay in Chicago and work with the team instead. That similar sentiment maybe maybe tracks back to Chris Dunn, especially in the early offseason. But the reports that we've heard from other beat reporters who've been at the Advocate Center, whether it was during the NBA Combine, whether it was during private workouts, or even just now when the Bulls introduced Chandler Hutchison and Wendell Carter just on Monday, like guys were in the in in the Advocate Center. Chris Dunn being one that was spotted multiple times there too as well. So that's really the only connection I can gain from that. And I told you why I kind of had that growing skepticism because it was something Paxson said when he was a player and to guys like Will Perdue, uh, who had brought this story up saying that if you're not in in sight for other people to see you, you're kind of out of mind. So maybe that's kind of the the same philosophy John Paxson has as a guy in the front office and wants to see all the players that's are a part of this core working out together in Chicago all summer long. He had that same philosophy when he was a player. Felt like that when when he was part of those 90s teams with Michael. So I don't know if that's the same philosophy or if he does, but if I'm connecting dots here a little bit, I think maybe that would be the only thing that they were a little bit disappointed by. But even that, to me, is a little bit of a stretch, especially the way we... Well, yeah, and it's not like and it's not like Chris Dunn is the only guy who is not spending the entirety of the offseason, especially the early part of the offseason when a lot of players go on a vacation, get out of town, spend some time with their families, whatever it may be. It's 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 not like it would be only Chris Dunn who was guilty, if you want to even use that word, guilty of doing such a thing. So for him to be singled out in that report by Cowley still to me makes very little sense because it's, it's expected. That is just sort of part of how the NBA season works and the offseason works is, all right, when your season comes to an end, you do your exit interviews, you figure out, all right, what is the front office and what does my coaching staff want me to work on this offseason? Are we all on the same page about where, we, where we're going this offseason? Do we need to have contract negotiations? Whatever the case may be. And then, all right, get out of town for a while, do what you want to do, clear your head, and then come back midsummer, ready to work, start working. That that's how it works. So I, I like to me, I don't understand that 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 whole Cali idea of like, well, they were less than enthused by the first part of his off season. The first part of everybody's off season is to get out of town and chill out for a couple of weeks. So like, why the hell does that even matter? Take it for what it is. Chris Dunn doesn't believe it. I'm tending to side with Chris Dunn here, and unless unless he comes into training camp not in shape or something like that, like. I have we. I feel like Bulls fans, a la Chris Felicio. <laughs> As Bulls fans, I feel like we don't really have a. There's there's no evidence that says that Chris Dunn doesn't work hard. So until that is like solid concrete evidence, I'm gonna stick with Chris Dunn in the notion that this guy's gonna bust his ass to try to be a part of this core for the future. So and even if it is like if it, if it's the mere fact that Chris Dunn wasn't in the Advocate Center for what the first three or four weeks of the off season. 
I just they can the Bulls can go scratch on that one. Like the guy's got to take some time, take some time to himself. And in 2018, most of NBA players are working out across the country with private trainers, and it's not the same as it was in the 90s, where guys are in the Advocate Center every single day working as a core together. It just doesn't work the same way in the offseason that it did in the 90s that it does in 2018. So I think maybe that's just a little bit of a difference in philosophies, both the front office and maybe the way the players work now in 2018. But uh, I think maybe that's even pulling straws, too, at this point. Um, we got to take a short break here, but when we come back, we've got another award to talk about, as well as want to talk about this uh, slight rumor about Marcus Smart being, maybe being an interest in free agency for the Bulls. Uh, also take some of your questions at the end of the episode. So stay right here with us at Lockdown Bulls. Be back in 60 seconds. All right, back here on Locked On Bulls. Remember, if you want to interact with us with the show, 331-979-1369. You can leave us text messages and voicemails at that number. Wherever you're listening to the show, whatever you're listening to the show, you can also hit us up on social media at Locked On Bulls, at Jordan C. Malley and at Bulls underscore Peck on Twitter. Hit us up on Facebook or wherever you want to listen to the show. Make sure you're subscribing as well. Matt, I've got another award for us here. Uh, a Bulls front office executive in Gar Foreman received two second place votes during this ballot for executive of the w- year. And that actually totaled to be more votes and more voter points than the GM or the executive of the Golden State Warriors. What do you take of that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's funny. Um, you know, Casey Johnson friend of the pod tweeted the results and said this award is voted on by other gms and gives you a window into how jimmy butler trade was viewed um by gar's peers so obviously two gms out there saw what the bulls did in the jimmy butler trade last summer and thought that the bulls got the upper hand of that trade uh you will not see tom thibodeau's name anywhere on this list of others receiving votes uh because remember he is not just the coach in minnesota but he is also the president of basketball operations uh kind of in the way that his former colleague doc rivers started that trend in in, uh la with the clippers i uh I, i mean i i still believe and a lot of it has to do with where the bulls were in jimmy's contract and the designated player exception contract that they were about to have to offer him around right now or a year from now that they did, in fact, win the Jimmy Butler trade. I mean, you can say both teams won it because the Wolves got a great player in his prime and a, a a veteran who could help you know mold and lead some of the younger players on that Timberwolves team who just made it back to the playoffs after whatever it was, like a 12-year drought. So the Timberwolves are happy with Jimmy as well. But the Bulls, specifically with Markkanen and, to a lesser extent, Levine and Dunn, I feel did a pretty good job in that Jimmy Butler trade. It was time. I think they could have even traded Jimmy a you know a year ago before that, like in 2016, uh, and and started the rebuild then. But so and it's not like Gar got a bunch of votes. He got two second place votes. So it's not like everybody across the league was like, "Wow, great job, Gar! You totally fleeced <laughs> the Timberwolves." But two 
of his colleagues said, actually, you know what? The Bulls did a pretty good job in that Jimmy Butler trade, all things considered. I think they have a nice core that they're building around. I'm going to give Gar a second-place vote. To me, it's not completely ridiculous that he got two votes for that trade. Sure, and I can bring up other points, too, throughout the season. I mean, obviously, the the selling of the pick for $3.5 million is not a good look. Uh, but outside of that, like... The way the Bulls handled the Bobby and Nico thing and getting a first-round pick for Nico, that's another, absolutely. you know, turning a negative into definitely a positive that the Bulls were able to accomplish last season. That was such a strange, strange situation. And for as much negativity that the Bulls got, especially at the beginning of the season... That fight and the way that they were able to handle that, suspending Portis got suspended for eight games. Nico was out to the uh, middle of December. Um, but outside of that, too, I was thinking about just David Nwaba in general, too, like small little moves that the Bulls were able to make. David Nwaba being a guy that they just brought off off the street um, was a guy that didn't get much playing time with the Lakers. The Lakers kind of liked him. Uh, the Bulls brought him in, gave him a shot, and he looked to turn it around and have a really good season this year. And I think he's going to get paid more than most guys who have to pay to get their way into a G League tryout uh, get paid. So I think that was a good move as well. Uh, you brought up the Nico trade. Getting a first-round pick for Nico Miritich, and the chips didn't fall in the favor of the Bulls as far as luck goes. But at the time, we like you had said, when you were backing up the Pelicans pick a few days ago, like up until the last, what, four or five weeks of the season, we were thinking that was going to be a potential back end of the lottery pick or potentially somewhere in the mid-teens. Unfortunately, the Pelicans turned it on the last six weeks, and that's not really the fault of the front office at all. So those couple of right. moves. But considering the fact that Nico's free agency value a few months before getting a first-round pick for him was literally zero. The Bulls said, all right, you want to test the waters? Go out there, see what's in store for free agency, come back, and maybe we'll match an offer. And he came back with zero offers. And they got a first-round pick for that guy. That's, I mean, that's a win. I, I know that Bulls fans hate giving the front office credit. And it's funny because that tweet from Casey Johnson so many Bulls fans immediately responded with like, oh, oh my God, like how the hell did Gar get two votes? That's two votes too many. This, this front office, especially Gar, is garbage. They don't do anything right. And, you know, you and I have talked about how over the last few seasons that have been kind of frustrating in Chicago, that that's kind of the overarching sentiment towards this front office. And I understand that Bulls fans think that a lot of the faults and a lot of the problems lie at the feet of this front office, in particular Gar Foreman. But it kind of blinds them to the truth sometimes. And the truth there is that getting a first-rounder for Nico, considering what he was worth, a.k.a. $0 to every other team in the league, that's a win. That is a successful front office move. You have to acknowledge that. Yeah, I think if you stack up the front office's moves from the time of the Jimmy Butler trade last season up until in this point feel like there's more positive moves especially in just one year looking at one year alone than there were negative moves sure yeah you can point to the 3.5 million but, selling the pick you can point to Bobby and Nico fighting sure but I think the Nawaba ad the landing Lowry Markin at number seven with all the criticism that you got there adding Zach Levine and Chris Dunn to the mix um, getting a first-round pick for Nico Miritich and only having to take on uh, some bad contracts. Yeah, you did include the second-round pick. That wasn't great. But outside of those moves, I think the Bulls made better, more positive moves in 2017-2018 season uh, than they made negative moves. I think so, too. Uh, I, I absolutely think so. And again, let's remember, he got two second-place votes. 29 other GMs in the league and 
two of those 29 decided to give Gar some props for the things that he did right last season. It's not like people, and it's not like you or I right now are arguing that Gar was one of the most successful GMs in the league last year. <laughs> Far from it. We're just saying it's understandable to see how two of his 29 colleagues gave him some credit. Well, I know you won't be speaking that same sentiment if they signed Jabari Parker after July 1st. Yeah, oh my God. <laughs> what are we even talking about? Shut the uh, hell up. To put something else into perspective just real quick, is also the Golden State Warriors executive only it was actually had less voter points than Gar Foreman did. So that's put let's put it in perspective here a little bit. I know that the Warriors, as far as moves made, they didn't really make a whole ton besides adding the pick in Jordan Bell. Uh, but outside of that, like that puts it in a little bit of perspective. The reigning world champs. Hey, you know what that means? It means the Bulls won that 3.5 mil trade. That's what it means. <laughs> oh, stop. That's what I'm, it means. Read between the lines, man. <laughs> not even going to have that conversation right uh, now. Yeah, before somebody jumps down my throat, clearly that was a joke. <laughs> Uh, before we get to just kind of the Marcus Smart rumors real quick, um, posted some videos if for those not following us on Twitter, posted some videos last night of Lowry Markkinen with uh, the Finnish national team. Um, I don't think th- this wasn't a game. So from what I understand, this wasn't uh, part of the world, the, the world qualifier game. I think that's happening on Friday. This was more so, I think, an exhibition game. Uh, but like, Mark- a, like a tune-up game. Yeah, basically. But... Uh, Markinen just absolutely showcasing himself over there uh, for the people that weren't able to come over to the United States and see him in his rookie year or see him in college. He went over there and dominated 23 points, 12 rebounds in 26 minutes of play. He was 69% from the field. I think he went 9 for 13. Uh, the guy absolutely dominated. He was a plus 12 in the plus minus. Then again, like fans were pointing out last night on the videos too, that the competition level he was playing up against was uh, was not the greatest. I think maybe the competition level is slightly better in the summer league, but uh yeah, marketing, windmill dunk, chase down block, like working it in the post, everything you want to see from marketing. Uh, he was flashing it in that game yesterday, and I think we're going to put, pay a little bit more closer attention to Friday's game when the competition ramps up a little bit more. My biggest takeaway from that was that windmill dunk he had on the breakaway. And oh, that I, so sweet. Dude, I am all on board the get marketing in the dunk contest train. I like We need to make that happen. The seven footer with the hops that he's got, I we got to get him in the dunk contest. That that windmill dunk was just filthy. If we can get Zach Levine and Lowry Markkinen in the same dunk contest, I don't know about the rest of the NBA, but hell, that would be the must watch of the year as far as Bulls fans go. Uh, but I'm with you. Like he's got also videos up too. If you go and check out Instagram, he's got videos of him dunking over coaches in practice while he was practicing um, in Finland. He's got a, some a couple other videos of just him dunking in general. And like I said, he's added. People are saying he's added 10 pounds of muscle just from this summer alone. Uh, he looks completely different from when he came in with the Bulls just even a year ago. So continues to add strength, continues to add muscle, and the athleticism that he already has. We're going to see a hell of a lot more of those dunks this season coming up and in the future, but it's something that I think Bulls fans, for once, can be positive and be excited about. Uh, Here's some highlights of our star player, and for those that don't think he's going to be a star or aren't yet sold on marketing, I think can watch those videos and cringe a little bit more on the take that they have that maybe marketing won't work out. 
I'm certainly excited though, man, watching the, some of those videos and him showcasing his skills and the confidence level too, I think, uh, shouldn't be, uh, shouldn't be gone underwhelmed either. I mean, he's building up his confidence over there. I think he brings that into next season and we're going to have an exciting young core. Yeah. I, uh, it's certainly making me giddy for the season to start already watching that tape of marketing and, uh, we, we did learn, I don't know, a couple weeks ago that he is not going to be participating in Summer League uh, just because, you know, between going and going back home for a while and playing for Finland and also, you know, he's he's a new dad and really he's focusing on his game and building out his frame. As you just mentioned, it's not like really necessary the market and play, you know, some second year, you know, about to be second year players play in Summer League uh, for, you know, the second time in their young careers with marketing. I don't think it's necessary. I don't think you, you make that risk of him getting hurt while playing in summer league. That means nothing uh, in the grand scheme. And let's be honest, marketing would destroy everybody in, in summer league. So like, what's the point? Um, but still, it just makes me really impatient that we're, we're going to have to wait a while to, to see Markin and play another game in a Bulls uniform. To wrap up, let's, uh, let's talk about this report about maybe the Bulls interested in Marcus Smart. Uh, so we retweeted a tweet from Jordan Schultz. Um, he was reporting that not only were the Bulls, but uh, a handful of other teams involved in maybe rumored about being interested in Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart is a restricted free agent this year. 24 uh, 24 years old he scored about he averaged about 10 points per game last year had a career high of 4.8 assists what do you think about this I I I think I I feel a little bit indifferent about this but I'm curious to get your thoughts on this and exactly what kind of money you think Marcus Smart's going to get and why the Bulls if it's somewhere above 10 million a year why the Bulls would even be involved yeah uh, so just uh, for those of you who didn't see this report those other teams uh, that you mentioned are the Mavericks Suns Pacers uh, and also his current team, the Boston Celtics, are the teams outside of Chicago who are reportedly, from Jordan Schultz of Yahoo Sports, interested in Marcus Smart services as a restricted free agent this summer. He states that he thinks he's worth somewhere between 12 and $14 million a year. Um, and there's talk that the Celtics might think that's a bit steep considering all of the young talent they have on that team, and right now he's maybe... I don't know what the sixth, seventh most important player on that roster, if you include Gordon Hayward and and Kyrie Irving and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and all the pieces that they have, uh, smart for as skilled as he is and as versatile as he is in the backcourt is not necessarily like a must keep for that Celtics team right now. From the Bulls' perspective, no, I'm sorry, no. I, I don't think the Bulls are going to be players in free agency at all this summer. I think they're going to save all their eggs in that basket for 2019 when there are some big names coming around, when hopefully the league will have gotten a chance to see this young Bulls core take a stride, maybe go from a 27-win team to a 37-win team. And you know, and you could say all you want about how the, the this Bulls front office has failed to lure the big-name free agents in their tenure, and that is absolutely true. It doesn't mean they're, they're not going to try. And what they want to do is try really hard to be one of those teams in a great position and with great cap space to do that free agent work in 2019, when a lot of teams around the league are still going to be writing gross checks. So that's what you know. That's what the situation is. So I don't think Marcus Smart and the money that he thinks he's worth is anywhere on the Bulls' radar, regardless of what this report is saying. Yeah, I, I agree too. Maybe they've inquired a little bit about him, but. 
as far as as far as the narrative goes with Bulls overpaying guys that are just really good role players, that would be in the same line of signing Marcus Smart this offseason. Look, I, it, they talked about how they didn't want to add a third player in the second round, uh, how they wanted to keep their roster, quote-unquote roster flexibility open. Okay, fine. Maybe they maybe they are talking to a couple smaller free agents, but if he's asking for 12 to $14 million, that's ridiculous. Like, Why would you want to pay 12 to $14 million for Marcus Smart and I just don't think the productivity level is there. You're talked about 2019 and 2020. If you tie up 12 or 14 million dollars in a three or four year contract with Marcus Smart, that doesn't really play to your advantage in 2019's offseason or 2020 when you might be trying to look to add a star with a max contract. So I I think I'm with you too. I don't think they're going to be big players in free agency either. We heard Woj say that they might be sneaky players in free agency this year, and that's I think that it would have to be something ridiculous with some of these stars. I think that's a rare example of Woj not knowing what the hell he's talking about. <laughs> like, no, I don't. Like, no, I don't. And I know a lot of Bulls fans are hoping that maybe that's true and that they are going to be sneaky players and like go out and add maybe not like a top tier free agent this this summer because let's be reasonable, they're not getting CP three they're not getting LeBron they're not getting you know none of those big names are coming here this year it's not happening but some Bulls fans still might say okay but like try and go out there and I know a lot of Bulls fans like try and sign Clint Capella no not happening Uh, obviously I'm not even going to mention that other name uh, up there in Milwaukee it's just not in the cards this summer and Bulls fans need to accept that and that's true for the big name free agents and it's true for Marcus Smart as well look Marcus Smart's a solid player but to me, twelve to fourteen million doesn't cut it, and this would be just another classic case of overpaying a really good role player. It just doesn't fit the timeline of where the Bulls are at in terms of trying to compete. I think it takes another year of development. I'd rather see a young guy, like I've said it before, I'd rather have seen them use that roster space on a guy in their early 30s in the second round and use that as far as a cheap option to see if you can hit on one of these guys. I would have rather seen that or adding a guy as far as contract dump. Maybe that's what they're talking about with roster flexibility. I wouldn't hold out a ton of hope for that, but maybe that's what they're looking at to do, um, not even in the offseason, but maybe at the start of the next season when other teams are trying to dump guys so that could be it too I just don't see the fit as far as Marcus Smart goes he's a defensive player and he's a great guy on defense but as far as the offensive ability I think it's capped at probably 10 or 12 points a game and so that's not really a star that you want to be spending 12 to 14 million dollars per year over the next three or four years on no and I could absolutely see one of those other teams that is interested in his services offering him a multi-year deal that he thinks is is what he's worth, that the Bulls have no business paying him. Yep, I agree. And I think those teams that you listed off are in more in line to be competitive more so than the Bulls are this year. Yeah, especially like Indy makes a lot of sense to me. Go team up with Oladipo and that, you know, that Indy team that's trying to make a name for themselves and fighting alongside Philly and, and Boston to become sort of like the new young powerful teams in the East, especially if LeBron does leave Cleveland. So like that makes way more sense to me uh, than, than Marcus Smart even wanting to come to Chicago. So we'll see. And he's still a restricted free agent. So if he doesn't get the money, maybe he's exactly looking for, maybe he goes back to Boston. I just don't see the fit in Chicago, especially at the money. Maybe if we were talking about six to $8 million, maybe then there's more of a conversation to be had there. But I, I think one of those teams is probably going to pay him over $10 million a year. I could see him fitting with the Pacers and even the Mavericks too. Like the Mavericks added their big man and uh, or they added Luka Doncic and they're looking to add a big man, a big t- 
full-time free agent this summer. If they land somebody like DeAndre Jordan or DeMarcus Cousins, they could be in shape to trying to be trying to be competitive in the Western Conference, and I could see him moving that way too. Well, that's going to about do it here on Locked on Bulls. You can follow us on social media at Jordan C. Malley, at Bulls underscore Peck, and at Locked on Bulls. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Locked on Shy Bulls, and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and anywhere you find podcasts, you will find us. Hit us up at 331-979-1369. That's our text and voicemail line. If you want to interact with the show, wherever you're listening to the show, whenever you're listening to the show, leave us all your text and voicemails there. We're doing mailbag tomorrow. We do it every Wednesday here at Locked on Bulls. So make sure you're submitting that there or hit us up on social media as well at Locked on Bulls. We're live on Dash Radio, DashRadio.com and the Dash Radio app on the Nothing But Net channel. We're live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern and 9 a.m. Central Time. For Matt Peck, for Jordan Malley, we will see you tomorrow, Bulls Nation, for another Locked on Bulls mailbag segment. So make sure you get all those texts and questions in for tomorrow's episode. For Matt Peck, for Jordan Malley, we are out, Bulls Nation. Have a great day. Deuces. Locked on Bulls, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. Hosts Jordan Malley and Matt Peck dive into the best Bulls news and stories around the NBA. Locked on Bulls is live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, starting at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central. For more content and to stay up to date, head over to LockedOnBulls.com, part of FanRag Sports.